All right. Good morning, you guys. Good to see you. Welcome to the 930 service. Glad you guys are here. Now, as many of you know, I was a youth pastor for 16 years in Florida before Amber and I moved to Calgary. And one morning, I showed up to my church office, and I found an envelope sitting on my desk. It was an envelope that was addressed to me, but it did not have a return address. How many of you guys know when you get a piece of mail that doesn't have a return address on it, it often is not good news? So I I opened it up and I started reading. And I want to share this letter that I got with you today, and it's going to kick us into our message. So the first line said, Hello, Pastor Daniel. And I was like, whoa, hey, whoa, that like, that seems harsh. Like, why are you putting pastor in quotation marks as if I didn't deserve the title or something? Like, I'm fully ordained. I'm employed by the church. That's weird. Like, could you imagine going to the hospital and you're like, hello, doctor? And they'd be like, good luck with your rash. You know, they just leave you alone. So this is how it starts off. I'm like, okay, we're not getting off on the right foot here. They go on to write, I write you today to thank you for the time and energy you have invested into my grandchildren. It is clear that you love them very much and they enjoy, they enjoy attending your youth group. So at this point, I'm like, oh, good, okay. They're just writing to tell me how wonderful I am. I thought that this was gonna be a criticism letter, a complaint letter. So thankfully, I totally misunderstood. I am about to read a whole lot of writing about how amazing and wonderful I must be. But the next line says, however, by the way, this is true, okay, this really is what I was sent. However, I feel God prompting me to tell you that your manner of dress is wholly unbefitting someone who claims to be a minister of the gospel. So I read that, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's going to be one of those letters after all, okay? And, and, you know, at this point, there's a part of me that just wants to like, okay, this is silly, forget this, you know what I mean? But I started thinking to myself, what can I have possibly worn that upset somebody so much that they would write me an anonymous letter and complain and like, you know, kind of say that I don't deserve to call myself, like, I wasn't wearing a shirt that had any beer on it, there were no ladies on my t-shirts, I just don't understand what it could have been. Helpfully, they told me what they had a problem with. Shorts t-shirts, and flip-flops are not appropriate for a pastor when teaching the word, even if it is to a group of young people. I can only assume that you dress like a teenager because you believe it will make teenagers like you. Okay, boomer. Maybe I dress like a young person because at the time I was 24 years old. And because I lived in Florida, and Florida is hot, you guys. Like, it's hot like a sauna. That's on fire in the eighth circle of hell. Like, it is hot in Florida. Anybody that doesn't wear shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt is crazy. So they go on to say, but a person who wants respect has to show themselves worthy of respect. And so far, you have not. I pray your eyes are opened and that you repent before God at the altar. On another note, I really enjoyed your message last Sunday night. Sincerely, Anonymous. <laughs> This is a true story. I really got this letter from somebody, and I was like, I don't even know where to begin here, okay? 
Now look, in my 40s, okay, in my 40s now, if I got this letter, I would chuckle, I would toss it in the recycling bin, I wouldn't give it a second thought. After all, it's Romans 14, 17 that tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat and what we drink, or we might even add here how we dress. Instead, it is all about living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what God is concerned with, not whether the youth pastor is wearing flip-flops on a Wednesday night. But back then I was young and I kind of took this personally. And so I I didn't think I had done anything wrong. This felt like, you know, this was out of bounds, but I wanted to be sure. So I went to my senior pastor and I said, hey, pastor, here's this letter that I got. I don't know. Are they right? Am I wrong? Should I like take heed to this or just forget all about it? And uh, he said to me something that stuck with me. It's a universal truth, honestly. He said, Daniel, in ministry, there are always going to be people that are unhappy with you for one reason or another, okay? If this person was not mad at you over this, they would probably find some other reason to complain, some other thing that they didn't like about what you were doing. He told me this letter says more about them than it does about you, okay? And so I was like, whew, all right, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe it was this person. Now, please understand, I'm not picking on any of our boomers or seniors or anything. If you got like snow on the roof, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Um, You guys are amazing. This just happened to be, yes, and I got some amens out of that. This just happened to be a boomer who, you know, look, today we're going to be talking about how to deal with toxic people in your lives. And I'm not saying that this person is toxic. In fact, they probably are not. They were probably just having a bad day, or maybe they had an unhealthy view of like what a pastor should and shouldn't be doing. I'm not saying they're toxic, but how many of you guys know there are genuinely toxic people in the world? You have genuinely toxic people in your life, so do I. Hey, there are genuinely toxic people in the church as well. And so today what we want to do is we want to identify what it really means to be toxic. How do we define that? How do I know if somebody is actually toxic or they're just having a bad day or they're a little crabby, okay? And then when I know that somebody is really toxic, how do I respond to them? How do I handle that? I mean, do I, do I try to reconcile? Do I try to do something to make the relationship healthy or should I cut them out? As a Christian, is it okay to cut somebody out? Is that a a biblical thing? Is that a Christ-like thing? I want to talk through some of those issues with you uh, this morning. Because if you identify a toxic person and they're far removed from you, then it's not hard to deal with them. You just avoid them. You ignore them. You ghost them, right? But what if the toxic person is a family member? What if it's your longtime friend? You guys have been friends since like elementary school and you just see more and more this person, every time you're around them, you feel worse about yourself. What if it's your boss or a coworker? It's not as easy as, well, let's just cut them out. So let's look at what the scripture actually has to say on what a toxic person actually is like and then uh, how we might deal with them in a way that honors Jesus. So in order to, to do this and answer all these questions, we're gonna go back to Luke chapter number seven and the story of Jesus and John the Baptist. This is what we talked about last week, remember? We read in Luke 7 how John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist was a powerful preacher. And people from all over the countryside came to listen to John preach. They gave their hearts to God. They were baptized in the Jordan River. He had developed really a large following in the first century. And eventually he catches the attention of the religious authorities and the civil authorities in his day. And John the Baptist is arrested and he's thrown in jail. We read last week about how this was an occasion for offense in his life. He began to feel depressed defeated. He was feeling very sad and overwhelmed by his circumstances. And so we read last week about how his cousin Jesus sends him a message. 
and says, hey, listen, you know, keep your faith in God. Keep your spirits up. There's a plan and a purpose in all of the pain that you're going through right now, all right? So we're gonna pick up this story in literally the very next verse from where we left off. This is the continuation of the exact same story. So look at Luke chapter number seven, and we'll start reading in verse number 24. Luke seven, verse 24, the scripture says this. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds of people. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And John is more than a prophet. He is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet, Jesus says, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Now, we're going to pause here for a moment because actually the meat of the text where we're going to be spending our time this morning are the verses to come. But I want to point out here that Jesus is saying, listen, the whole reason you guys were interested in John is because he told you the truth you needed to hear. He didn't give you nice words. He didn't give you a pat on the back. He said, look, you guys need to get right. There is something wrong and you can't just ignore it anymore. God is calling you to actually change based on his word, okay? So he says, John was a powerful preacher and that's why you guys enjoyed him. And he says here that nobody in the kingdom of God is greater than John. He says, except the person who is least in the kingdom of God, who is actually greater than him. Some of you guys are here this morning and you're like, I don't even know if I belong in the kingdom of God. If I do, I'm probably like the lowest person on the totem pole. And Jesus says, that means you're in the right spot. God wants to take people who are at the back of the line and move them to the front. He wants to take people who feel like they do not fit in, and he wants to use them in great and powerful ways. John the Baptist is an incredible example of that, and so are many of you. You walked in feeling that way, and God has totally transformed your life and done amazing things. And there are some of you today who are here, and he wants to do that for you. You think, no, not me. Yes, you. Okay, let's move on here. He says, when they heard this, meaning all the people, even the tax collectors, they agreed that God's way was right for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees, Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the pastors, the preachers, the theologians. The Pharisees and the experts in the religious law rejected God's plan for them for they had refused John's baptism. So now look at verse 31. This is so good, you guys. Jesus says, to what can I compare the people of this generation? How can I describe them? They are like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and yet you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So Jesus says wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. All right, you may be sitting here hearing those verses and thinking to yourself, okay, what? I'm not sure I totally understand what's going on, but by the time we get finished this morning, I promise you a light bulb is gonna come on, and you're gonna see some things about toxic people in, in your life, and hey, you're also gonna see some things in your own heart and life that you might want to address. So in this, uh, in this passage, 
Jesus uses a story about little children to describe the religious leaders of his day, right? This is the parable he tells about kids going into the public square. They bring their musical instruments and they play and people don't respond. Some commentators I read called this the parable of the brats, which I really like. I think that's clever. So I may refer to these as the the parable of the brats throughout the message today, okay? So Jesus doesn't call these kids or the religious leaders who he's really referring to here. He doesn't call them toxic, but he certainly points out that they are unhealthy in the way that they are relating to the people around them. So he says they're like children that are playing a game. They go into the public square, they bring like their first century musical instruments, and they start playing a happy song, and they're like, come on, dance with us. And everybody's like, no, what? You know? And they ignore them, and they're like, oh, people don't want happy songs. I guess we'll try to make them miserable. And so they play sad songs and they expect everybody to get sad and weep. And then they don't. And so the kids are equally angry when people do not respond to their happy message and when they respond or when people do not respond to their sad message, okay? Then in verse 33, Jesus says that these religious leaders are basically people who are never, ever satisfied, that if you know, they get people to hear happy songs, they're not happy. If they play the sad songs and people don't respond, no matter what they do, they're not happy. And he, he goes on to specifically call out John the Baptist, and he says, look, John came, and he rejected the luxuries of life. He was like the prophet in the wilderness. He didn't wear fancy clothes. He didn't have fancy words. He didn't he just, he shunned the luxuries of life, right? Didn't have fancy food, didn't drink wine, all that stuff. And you guys said, this guy has a demon. How could anybody follow him? God would never send somebody like that. No way, you rejected him. Then I come along and I'm like, let's have a party. Let's eat a feast. Let's drink wine. Let's invite everybody in the city. And you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. God would never send somebody like that. He's like, you are people that cannot be pleased, There is no way to make you happy. God does this and you say, no, I'm looking for a person that's like that. God sends a person like that and you're like, no, I don't want that either. You are somebody who cannot be uh, made happy. Everything is wrong in their eyes. Now, from this little parable of the brats, okay, we can start to pull out some characteristics of what a truly toxic person is or what they are like. And you can say, okay, if I've got somebody in my life and I'm just beefing with them, like we do not get along, I find myself drained and hurt by them all the time. How do I know if they're just in a bad season and they need me to love them and encourage them or they're toxic and I need to take some sort of deeper or bigger stand with them, this might help. So the first defining characteristic we see from Luke chapter number seven of somebody who is unhealthy or even toxic is that they are unable to control their own emotions and desires. They are unable to control their own emotions and their desires. So don't gloss over the fact that in verse 32, Jesus calls them children. He's basically saying, you guys are immature. You're not fully formed emotionally and relationally. You're not acting like a grown-up. Instead, you're acting like children. And just like children, okay, they don't respond well. These toxic people do not respond well when things don't go their way. They're like, oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm mad you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And because like a kid, they can't articulate how they're feeling. Kids just cry. And you're like, why are you crying? And they don't even know. They're just crying. They're just letting loose some emotion. And there are people who, though they have grown up chronologically, they have never grown up emotionally. And so they don't know why they're upset. They're just upset. 
And all that comes out is emotion. There's no explanation. There's no rationality. There's no talking them down. It is literally just raw negative emotion that comes out of them. Hey, kids, when they don't get their way, they throw a temper tantrum. Some of you guys are like, we had that in my car this morning. My kid was pitching a fit. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't have kids like me, you've seen it. You've seen it at the grocery store. You've seen it up in kids' church. I mean, when kids don't get their way, they tend to throw a temper tantrum. If they don't like somebody else, they don't talk through their problems. They bully one another, right? They, they will punch and bite and scratch and kick, you know, all these different things. And there are toxic people that will essentially do the exact same thing, okay? For toxic people... They cannot, they have an inability to control their own emotions and desires. There is no filter on their words and there's no governor on their behavior. If you start to see that in somebody in your life or hey, can I just say, if you start to see this in your own life, this is a red flag you should be cautious of. An inability to control your own emotions and desires. Now, the interesting thing is, despite their inability to control their own emotions and desires, toxic people are keenly interested in controlling other people's emotions. They, they can't control their own, but they really want to control yours. They really want to tell you how you should feel in any given situation. So in this passage, Jesus says the religious, the children who are representative of the religious leaders, the toxic people, he says that they are playing a game and trying to dictate whether other people feel happy or sad. I'm playing a happy song, you should be happy. I'm playing a funeral dirge, you should be sad. Put differently, a toxic person says, if I'm miserable, everybody else should be miserable too. Or if I'm happy, then I can't understand why you would have any reason to be sad. Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Okay, a toxic person insists on controlling other people's emotions. They act as though they are the emotional benchmark by which everyone else should measure their own feelings and actions. Okay? Toxic people have an inability to control their own emotions and desires, but they really want to control other people, just like the Pharisees here in this passage. And finally, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, toxic people are impossible to please. They are impossible to please. So Jesus, in verse 33, he leaves behind this metaphor of like kids playing music and all that stuff. And he says straight up, look, you guys didn't believe that John was a prophet from God because of this reason and that reason. And then I come along and I do all of the opposite things, all the things that you say a real prophet of God should do. The Messiah, we expect him to be this and this and this and this. And I do those things and you reject me too. There is nothing God could do to make you happy. And with a toxic person, there's nothing you can do to make them happy. They're gonna be unsatisfied. And the reason, please catch this, the reason is because the problem does not lie in the other people around them. The problem lies in their own heart, okay? The problem is inside of them, but they don't recognize it. So they blame other people and say, you are the one who is responsible for the way I feel or the problems that I'm having. These are the characteristics of a truly toxic person. Now look, this is not meant to be like a clinical or an exhaustive definition of what a toxic person is. Maybe you're in the uh, mental health field here today and you're like, uh, that's, you know, the DSM doesn't really say, I, I don't know if you, yeah, I get it. Okay, this is not meant to be like the definition. I'm just saying it's a good starting place and we can certainly see these, script, uh, these principles at play here in the scripture. And then some of you are like, oh, you just described my mom to a T, okay? That's definitely her 
nearly everything you said is that woman. Or you're saying, hey, I've got a coworker, I've got a friend from university, and all three of those qualities and characteristics, that is what they are like every single day. How many of you guys would say, based on looking at this list, yes, I have a toxic person somewhere in my life? Anybody willing to admit it? Okay, a few of you guys, some of you are doing this, right? Because that person is sitting next to you, you don't want them to see? The irony, of course, is like there are often, when I ask questions like this, there are two people that are sitting next to each other in church and they both raise their hand and this person is thinking about that person and this person is thinking about that person. Okay, these are the qualities and characteristics of a toxic person, at least as they're highlighted here in verse number seven. So you might be wondering, okay, how do I deal with those toxic people? Whether they're at work, whether they're in my family, whether they're at church, wherever it is they might be, how do I deal with these toxic people? Is there a way to keep them out of my life, uh, rather to keep them in my life and to make the relationship healthier, or should I kick them out of my life? Should I shun them? Should I get rid of them totally? And if you're a Christian, you probably are wondering, like, what is the Christ-honoring thing to do here? Is it right biblically? Is it a good thing? Is there ever a time in which God says, honey, you need to cut him out, get rid of him. Why are you still hanging out? Or should I pursue relationship and reconciliation at all costs? Which one should I do as a follower of Jesus? And to answer these questions, we're gonna step away from Luke 7 for just a moment. I'm gonna show you a few verses throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that'll give you some answers. But we're gonna come back to Luke 7 and Jesus and John the Baptist here at the end of the message, and we're gonna end there in just a moment. So what is my responsibility to toxic people? If those are the descriptions or characteristics of a toxic person, what is my responsibility to them, particularly if I'm a Christian? Can I tell you your first responsibility as a believer to a toxic person in your life is to pray for them? Truly, it is, okay? Matthew chapter number five, verse 44, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, those who hurt you, those who take advantage of you, those who even attack you. Jesus commands us to pray for them. I know a lot of times Christians will kind of think, look, they need medicine, they need counseling, they need a new circle of friends, I don't know. But we fail and forget to pray for them. Prayer is the most powerful, powerful tool at your disposal. It is literally the thing that can transform somebody. Take them from dead to alive, from sick to well, from miserable and awful to full of joy in the Holy Spirit. There is a power in praying for somebody that often we just ignore completely. So I'm going to challenge you, if you have a toxic person in your life, your first move is often going to be to cut them out. Whether you do that or not, can I just say your first move should be to pray for them. Just pray. God, I know they're, so, they're hurting. It's obvious. Rather than being angry and resentful at them, God, can you do a work in their heart? Can you help them, please? They need it, obviously, so desperately. And so I'm praying that you'll intervene and give them great joy and peace in their life. My first responsibility to toxic people is to pray for them. Hey, my second responsibility, again, this is if you're a Christian. If you're uh, not a believer, then you can, I mean, I think this is good advice. But anyway, serve and bless them. My second responsibility is to serve and to bless them. You're like, no, wait a sec. You, Dan, you don't understand. This person is real poisonous, okay? They have been mean and ugly and rude and hateful and hurtful. I get it. 
But the scripture tells us to serve our enemies, and it doesn't make any caveats for if they say this or if they actually did that. Instead, we read verses like 1 Peter chapter number 3, 9, which says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. God promises that if people do you wrong, and in response you do them right, God will do you right. That is literally the word here. He will bless you if you bless those those around you, whether they bless you or curse you, okay? My responsibility to toxic people is to bless and serve them to the best of my ability. And I will tell you right off the bat, you are not going to wanna do this. I don't wanna do this. I wanna get even. I wanna give them an earful. I want to let them know just how terrible they are. My initial reaction, my natural reaction is not to serve them, to bless them, to give them good in response to their evil. No, my my initial reaction is a bad one. And so God calls me, he calls you instead to say, okay, I know what I want to do, but I know what God's called me to do. And I want to act like Christ in this situation, okay? My third responsibility to toxic people is to communicate the truth to them, to communicate with them. That is my responsibility. In Proverbs chapter number 27, verses five and six, the scripture says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. We talked a little bit about this week, respond, or last week rather, responding versus reacting. If you're gonna react, you're just gonna be like, you're such a mean, but I hate you. I can't stand you. Every time I'm around you, you're awful. I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. If you're doing that, you're not communicating. In fact, you're responding or reacting rather poisonously just like they are. You're making the toxicity worse. But if you go to them and you say, hey, listen, I, I, I just need to have a chat with you, okay? Lately, every time we talk, all that you do is complain. And like, I get enough complaining everywhere else in my life. I miss the times where we laughed. I'm looking forward to that time when, you know, you're feeling better and I'm feeling better and we don't sit around and just gossip about everybody all the time. Can I just tell you, like, I don't like the tone and tenor of our relationship. I don't like the way this has gone lately. And I want to do something about it. So I want to own my part. I'm going to ask you. That's communication. To tell them, hey, look, the things that you've been saying and doing, I think are unhelpful, they're unhealthy, and I want you to address them. I'm going to be here with you. I'm going to address my stuff too. That communication is important because if you just ignore them or if you pretend that everything is all right, listen, open rebuke is better than hidden love. Real words from a friend are more valuable than somebody who kisses you on the cheek and says, no, everything's okay. Sometimes toxic people need to be told you're acting a bit toxic right now, okay? Now, you might also have a responsibility to cut this person out of your life. You may. I believe there is a time and a place, even for a Christian, to, we could get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that would make that boomer that wrote me the email early in the message, I'm gonna say something that would just resonate with their soul. There is a time to break fellowship with people, okay? There is a time in which you should not allow them anymore into your life. Hey, particularly if you're in an abusive situation, okay? Whether that's physical, emotional, certainly sexually, whatever that is, if you're in an abusive situation, listen, there is no command in the scripture for you to stay in that relationship, none whatsoever. That's, that's toxic, but it's even beyond that, okay? There is a time, even in situations that are not quite as dire as that, in which we might need to break fellowship, cut ties, and separate ourselves from somebody. Look at what... Um, 
Uh, Romans chapter number 16, verse 17 says, it says, I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. Give them boundaries. Say, look, if you can't be kind and good, then I I don't wanna spend time with you right now. And that's okay. I think that is a scriptural thing. And then the final responsibility that we've got to toxic people in our life is to have an openness to reconciliation. We should always have an openness to reconciliation with the people in our lives. We should never, ever, ever cut them out and write them off forever, okay? At least in normal situations. I mean, I can imagine there are some like huge, terrible, awful scenarios, um, but like 99% of the time, we should be willing to say, okay, I'm gonna cut this person out but if they have a change of heart and mind, if they were to repent and come and express some you know, regret and apology and all those different things, then hey, I might be willing. We could work this thing out. I think that's what God calls us to do. Ephesians chapter number four, verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I heard one time a saying, and you've probably heard it before. It's not like it's, you know, I didn't make it up. The person I heard it from didn't make it up. But the saying is this, the best people, the healthiest people have thick skin and a soft heart. Thick skin and a soft heart. Hey, could we, I mean, like, I've just been praying this. Amber and I have been praying this for a while now. God, will you grant us thick skin and a soft heart? There are going to be people that wound us. There are going to be people that hurt us. They may even be straight up toxic. And so I want to have a thick skin so that every little slight, every little rude thing, every little comment or Facebook post or whatever, I don't want to let that get down into my soul because that's poison. We talked about this in week one. It will literally ruin your emotions, your mindset. Certainly it'll damage your own soul. So God, give us thick skin so that we're not triggered and set off by every little thing, but give us a soft heart so that we don't just cut people out and write them off and then we never give them a chance. Listen, what if God did that to us? What if he wrote us off? Look at Dan, he's such a dirty sinner. Get that kid out, he's got nothing to do with me. I want nothing to do with him. Never gave me a second chance or a 700th chance. If God didn't do that for me, then I would be in a mess of trouble. And so would you. And so we have got to extend to others the same grace that God has given to us. God, grant us, grant the people in this room thick skin and a soft heart, all right? Now, at this point in the message, you're probably thinking about some toxic people in your life. And you're like, okay, I can identify them based on those characteristics you mentioned, Dan. And I'm starting to think about how maybe I could implement some of them into my relationship. But you guys, I don't want to end this message by talking about them, okay? I want to end the message by talking about you, talking about me, okay? Because there is a way to read the parable of the brats that actually shows that the toxic people are not always out there, they may be the ones on stage. Or they may be the ones who claim to follow Jesus. We may end up being far more toxic than we realize, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. So let me read this passage for you once more. We're gonna read you just the ending portion, the parable of the kids or the brats, okay? And I want you to listen to this and I want you to consider it from a different angle. Jesus says, um, they are like children. To what can I compare the people of this generation? They are like children playing a game in the public square. 
They complained to their friends that we played wedding songs and the people didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't weep. John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating uh, bread and drinking wine. You say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who live it. See, if we, if we do spin this parable, if we look at it from a different angle, the funeral song and the wedding song are actually code, okay? They're symbols. They are meant to represent something much deeper, something even more valuable than the characteristics of a toxic person, okay? The funeral song and the wedding song that Jesus speaks of are code for God's revelation of himself into the world and his plan of salvation for all of us and how we respond to it. This is actually a story of what God has been trying to do in your life and for all of humanity since the beginning of time. The funeral song that Jesus speaks of here is actually a representation. It's supposed to be connected to John the Baptist. See, when John the Baptist showed up and he was preaching, your boy was hard, okay? This was old time religion. People showed up to hear John preach and he's like, you suckers are sinful. You need to get right. God is going to execute judgment on you guys. You better go make some sacrifices. Stop screwing around. God ain't playing. You need to quit playing. Look at the message that John the Baptist preached on the day that Jesus got baptized. Listen to what he said. He says, you brood of snakes, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Even now, the ax of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. John went hard. And in fact, John's message here is representative of the entire Old Testament law, which was about judgment. It was about holiness. It was about accountability. It was about sacrifice. It was about obedience. And it was like God was saying, hey, I'm not playing games with you guys. So here are the rules, follow them. And what happens when we read the Old Testament? Or you show up on church and some guy stands and spits and he's like, the ax of God's judgment's about to fall on you. We say, I don't want a God like that. No, no, no. The God I believe in is a God of love. The God I believe in is a God of joy. He welcomes everybody. He forgives any mistake that we've made. We reject the funeral song. We reject the Old Testament law. Then God sends Jesus. By Jesus, he offers us a relationship with him, a new way of living in the world that is marked by love and joy celebration. It's marked by feasting. It's marked by brother and sisterhood. It's marked by forgiveness and goodness and hope in the world. God gave us what we said we wanted. And look, most people in 2021 say, I don't want that kind of God either. No, I reject that. God gave us the funeral song and we said no. God gave us the wedding song and we said, heck no. What is God to do? What did I tell you that the, the, the characteristics of a toxic person were earlier? I said, it's somebody who cannot control their own emotions and actions. Hey, look, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I cannot control my own emotions and actions, all right? 
It's like, I want to do the right thing and I often end up doing the wrong thing. I pray all the time, God, please make me a more patient man. And then he gives me opportunities to be patient and guess what? I am not. I want to be kind and I'm not. I want to be generous and I'm not half as generous as I want to be. I want all of these things for myself and I cannot control it. It's like I'm just out of control a lot of the times, right? And so that first mark of a toxic person, it's true of me. Then it says, I told you guys, a toxic person wants to control others. And like, I I don't know that I'm, I, I hope I'm not trying to control everybody, but listen, I am not unlike anybody else. I want to dictate terms to God at least. I want to control God. I want to define what is good and right. I want to define what is healthy and unhealthy. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to be the one in charge rather than letting him be in charge. What is that besides us trying to control him? So now we've got two characteristics of a toxic person and both of them apply to me. And I bet they apply to some others in the room as well. The final thing here we said was that you cannot make them happy no matter what they do. And that's Jesus' point here in verse number 33. What would it take for God to get you to respond to him? Like seriously, that's a real question. You should answer it yourself. What would it take for me to actually respond to God? Because he gave you the opportunity to respond to him based on rules. And you said, no, I don't want a rules religion. He said, okay, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to me based on relationship. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any sacrifice. I'll make the sacrifice for you. You don't have to prove you're worthy of my love. All you have to do is say, God, I want your love. You don't have to be perfect. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're not perfect. And if you did that, then I would embrace you and accept you as my child and welcome you back into the family. And you still said no. So what's it gonna take? What would it take for God to get your attention? And for a lot of people, the answer is nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing he could do. And if that's the case, then that third quality of a toxic person is true of you as well. There's nothing that's gonna make you happy. There's no way that you're ever gonna respond. I take this as a great challenge to my own heart and soul. Like sometimes the scripture is like a mirror and you hold it up and you're like, ooh, I don't like the way I look right now. I mean, I feel that way a lot of mornings, but in particular, there are times when I read the Bible and I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am consumed with identifying and managing the toxic people that are in my life, but the toxicity is in me. And the real poison is in my rebellion against God. It's my desire to do things my own way. And God's like, I'll do anything. There's nothing I wouldn't do to grab a hold of your heart and to show you the good plans that I have. And I'm like, no, I don't want any of it. It's convicting to me. My guess is probably for some of you. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to God this morning because Jesus tells us that if we simply come to God as our heavenly father, if we say, God, I know I have sinned and I'm asking you to forgive me and to restore me, to make me whole, to purge the poison, to get rid of the toxin, he will do it. You will not become a weird Christian. You will become a child of God. You will learn to see things differently, more joyfully, not perfectly. You guys have heard me talk again and again today about how unperfect I really am. But I promise you the good gift that God has for you is yours. And all you have to do is ask him for it. 
So I'm gonna invite everybody, just bow your head, close your eyes, because this is a moment between you and God. It doesn't even matter who's sitting next to you right now. And, and I'm gonna say a short prayer, and you might repeat this yourself. This is just you talking to God. Say, dear God, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. That God, I have acted like you haven't done anything for me. But today I'm seeing that you want a relationship with me. And God, I want a relationship with you too. So I pray that you would forgive me for the way that I have acted towards you. And that today I would embrace your forgiveness and your love and that I would live for you from this moment forward. And God, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, my wife is gonna share with you some, some ways that we can help you in this spiritual journey as you begin a relationship with God. If that wasn't you this morning, can I challenge you? Look, there are toxic people and it is easy to get hung up on fixing them, but the scripture calls us first and foremost to deal with our own issues, to deal with our own problems. Jesus said, you cannot help somebody take the splinter out of their own eye if you have a log sticking out of yours. If you have swallowed the poison, if you're toxic, then don't worry about somebody else. Worry about the work that God wants to do in your own heart and soul first, okay? All right.